I like I like precedence. I like being the first at everything. So it's like, yeah, when when Mick finally goes, "Will you shut the fuck up, please?" Fuck <laughs> that. What is wrong with you? We can hey, say, since we never we have a proper intro. Can we? Can we Listen, say? Oh yeah, uh, okay. yeah. No, you can't. I, I can. can't. I can. I assume <laughs> because Mick was involved. I assume because Mick was involved in this that we could you know. <laughs> that we could curse. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. You can okay. swear away. Who's the guest, wait, Mick? Wait a minute. Are you? I okay, ladies and gentlemen, David Chuck. Thank you, Scow. Thank you. Oh, oh fuck. I'm sorry. Ah, I, you did it this I, time. I, no. I fucked it. I did it this time. That's right. You did it last time. <laughs> no, understand Understand that we're dealing here with a decades-long history of oh, people my. mispronouncing my name or mistaking me for the other guy, my evil twin, David J. Scal, who wrote... <laughs> Hollywood Gothic, you know the book about the book about Dracula. Oh, and for, the, yeah. for the longest time, uh, we were convinced that if we ever met, the world would end because he was East Coast and I was West Coast, and I was dark and he was fair, and <laughs> he was nonfiction and I was fiction, and it was like. And so we finally shook hands outside the uh, uh, Bleecker Street uh, station of the the D train, you know, or something in, in in New York, and the world didn't end, and it really should have <laughs> at that point. So, but, COVID, uh, so COVID is actually your fault. It's Scow, which I am told is Danish. I have no idea because I'm adopted. So, uh, uh, but my name was just recently abused as a sound effect by uh, DC Universe, <laughs> an advertisement that uh, for those of you who have contempt for the comic book field, and I know you do, uh, in an ad for DC Universe, it had this string of sound effects, and one of them was my name. And the worst part was that it's based on a mispronunciation of my name, which is usually used as a gunfire sound. And this is not the <laughs> first time, because my name was also used as a sound effect, like DC Universe, Marvel Universe, right? right? right. My name was also used as a sound effect in an X-Men comic oh. in the 80s. And I have a that's what happened. Somewhere. Yeah, and that is probably the most boring digression we're going to do today. Wow, but, that yeah, was it, it's a uh, it's, uh, scow, hard ch like school scow, scow. Yeah. So, um, how you been, buddy? I'm hanging in there. Uh, some people call this a pandemic, I like to call it writer's paradise, right? Um, <laughs> because well, and uh, we also have uh, we also have uh, a chance for a celebration because they just uh, backed off on uh, AB five in California, which was the thing that jeopardized everybody that worked in a gig economy, oh. as opposed to wage jobs. And uh, uh, it was like it, it was a thing for like journalists, artists, uh, set workers. Uh, uh, this idiot named Lorena Gonzalez, this assembly woman, introduced this bill to force people to unionize. And uh, what it did was oh. it jeopardized Uber drivers. It jeopardized anybody who was a freelance writer uh, it, by restricting the number of uh, uh, outlets that you could uh, work for in a year. So people from out of state, for example, could no longer use people in California uh, to write articles or do illustrations for them because there was a cap at 35 markets. Anyway, this thing was called AB5. It was a pain in the ass, and uh, the governor Gavin Newsom just backed off on it two days ago. Wow, that was that would have been really rough for uh, for uh, for me if it was during the eighties when I was getting paid from every everybody in town all at once. <laughs> well, anybody anybody who is a gig worker, and this is the thing about the pandemic. Uh, uh, 
it has uh, caused those of us who have spent our lives working in a gig economy as opposed to a wage job. Uh, uh, it has allowed us the opportunity to go, hey, welcome to my world. Yeah, sucker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you, you don't know where you next. You want to romanticize working in the film industry? It's yeah. just remember you're going, you're going. You're that going paycheck to paycheck hand to mouth, hand to mouth, paycheck You're whining about a while ago. Yeah, it's like learn. Yeah, I've been walking that tightrope for forty years. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> hey, listen, and and you know, uh, especially from the point of view of uh, you know being working several non-union jobs at once and stuff like that, and uh, and. Uh, just being able to pay your rent uh, and uh, no. And so few times have I ever had health care. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would have to, I'm a member of the writer's guild and I would have to make, uh, I would have to wait around to make their minimum in order to get your health care back. And if you're lucky right. enough right. to do that, the minimum of course keeps going up until it's most people's gross national product. Right. Exactly. And, <laughs> most countries. Uh, and then they reinstate it. Then they make you wait a month for it. But man, when you've got it, the writer's guild health coverage is brilliant. I mean, it oh. is, it is so comprehensive. It is so good and it's irresistible and it's easy to get hooked on. My, uh, my IATSE, when I would get, when I would actually go through, uh, get enough uh, jobs in a year to uh, clear for IATSE. Ooh, man, that's a it, that that's almost like they they come out to your house and wing you away on uh, cherubs to the hospital. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but um, well, we're we're and and we're talking largely. I don't know what the complexion of a lot of the uh, your previous uh, episodes has been. But uh, uh, we're talking largely, we're now nostalgizing about this period in the 80s and 90s that we were flying by the seat of our pants through the film industry. <laughs> and, uh, and some of us are still hanging on by our cuticles, you know, and, and, and it, it, it does make the difference because to the general world at large, you don't exist unless you're in show business. Yes, yes. So I think this is why Mick, I think this is why Mick finally just felt compelled that he had to puke forth all this information into a book. <laughs> because hey. you, get to, you get to a certain stage in life. When you get to the stage of advanced old age that we are all embracing now, uh, you have to find a repository for the things that you get tired of remembering. That's exactly it. It really is. You know, and, and the thing is, is, from my point of view, I have to, I have to like kind of set the, set the record straight sometimes. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the other thing is, is I was always privileged, <laughs> privileged <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to see, uh, to see everything from uh, the crew down as opposed to from the crew up, like uh all the stories that 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 if you if you hear an actor uh, telling a story about uh, working on a film, uh, eventually it comes down to like, well, <laughs> this is such a story about it's such a great story about me and my agent, you know. And you go, well, yeah, but but the the making of the film is an interesting fucking thing all by itself, you know. You you have to take a look at it, even the worst film. Because, oh, even in fact, especially the worst film. <laughs> because the people who are on the set are not there intending to make a bad movie. 
Uh, Usually everybody's working their ass off. Everybody is really tired. And we're talking about old school pre-pandemic filmmaking, right? Oh, absolutely. And uh, I'll give you, I'll give you, for instance, um, uh, I shot and produced uh, a lot of the supplements for uh, iRobot, the 19 or the 2004 movie with Will Smith. Right. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm up in Vancouver shooting on this thing for months. You know, I mean, it was, a, it was a long shoot. Uh, the camera crew ratted me out and tried to have me deported uh, <laughs> because I wasn't, I wasn't a union uh, camera guy in Canada. So I solved the problem by hiring a guy that I had just met up there. Now we have two cameras on set. We're radioed up. I'm going get over to the other part of the set. You know, we get a long shot, a close shot. So we're shooting a scene where Will's chasing a robot across the street. This is back when we built a six block long set in downtown right. Vancouver, you know, wow. that you could just walk through this future world. There are these pads on the ground. And I thought, you know, if I get behind the flags, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the anti reflectors for the lights, for, for lights, right, and right. The grip flag. I, yeah. I can shoot between the crack on the, I can shoot through the crack on the flags and get Will running right at me and diving toward camera. Right. That's a pretty good shot. Right. Yeah. So and we're doing, we're doing it for, for, you know, insertion of a robot later. That's not even there. So Will runs, he dives. Now Will is wearing a leather coat and leather pants and he hits the stunt pad and the pad drags his pants off. Will, <laughs> Will looks right up into my camera through the crack and he goes, my ass is out. My- <laughs> see, w- will and- you see this on the DVD? No, no, uh, no, <laughs> because right? there's so many levels of <laughs> clearance and approval that you have to get. That's- to- see, that's one of the great stories of filmmaking. Just, just one of the great anecdotes of filming. We're sitting around, everybody has a drink in their hand. Hey, let me tell you what happened on the set, that's- such and such. This is this is what I ask when I'm interviewing people. Uh, I always start the interview with uh, at some point. I want you to tell me the story that you've told again and again and again and again to your friends at at the house or or in the business uh, at, because I want to get I mean I'm doing uh the uh I'm I'm calling it uh, uh behind the screams 3 which is going to be uh about the making of Nightmare on Elm Street 3 um so what it'll be to? exactly it's because- <laughs> I'm not doing to just like New Line shouldn't have. What's the tagline, so- Nick? <laughs> Good answer. See? Yeah, yeah. Did he did he open it up or what? <laughs> so I walked right into that one, didn't I? Okay. Yeah, you sure did. Yeah. Boy, thanks. <laughs> I put my foot right in the middle of that pie. Right, right. You Speaking sure of did. agents. Oh, hey, listen, my uh, my Peter. agent just showed up. Uh Peter uh, is uh, my uh, agent and um, a, the hardest working guy out there. Um, but uh, the the thing is, is we we work in these films, we see things, and I want that story. I want that. I want those stories to not disappear. Um, that's why. That's why your podcast should be called the real shit. 
It's, it should be called the real shit. Well, it's, it's called rabbit hole because we'll let anybody on. Mm. Obviously. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Dave, I, I swear, uh, my partner keeps keeps calling, keeps uh, pay, texting me every once in a while going, and he did this too, and he did the crow, and he did this, and he did that. Oh, that. <laughs> oh, not that again. <laughs> yeah. He wants to fan out a little bit, so I'm going to yeah, let him no, 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 the, the, no, my, no, no. A large portion of my life has been sucked up by people walking up to me in that sideways fashion. Uh, where you go to like Montrepalooza <laughs> or a convention or on the street or something when you have food on your lip or something, and they come up to you kind of sideways, and then yeah, they get right. real close to you, and then they go, <laughs> and especially about the crow, right? And, it's, and they go, so like, what really happened? You know, and it's like, oh my god, not again! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and you might have encountered this phenomenon too. Um, uh, I've seen. Uh, granted this was a long time ago I, i've seen mick you know at work and it's not pretty and uh, oh that's what i've heard <laughs> too what it is is really efficient and mick <laughs> and very, knows and very loud come on yeah <laughs> mick, mick knows as i know it's like there are those who uh talk about working on film sets and there are those who've actually done it there are people who actually know stuff and there are people who actually have to go to Google, you know, right away to find <laughs> out any whatever you're talking about. And uh, we've actually done this shit. You right. know, we, we've been up at four in the morning. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, I, you know what? That reminds me. I have to tell you a story about my daughter. I, uh, My daughter at one point decided that she wanted to work with dad. And I was doing a I was doing a, a, a short four day film. And I, uh, I said, okay, well, you know what? I, I, I'll make you set decorator because we don't, we don't have very many people. And, um, and she goes, well, wh what's it going to pay? I said, well, you know what? I'll, I'll give you a thousand dollars for the whole job. And we'll feed you. And she went like this and she goes, a thousand dollars. Yeah. A thousand dollars because she was used to working, you know, uh, not fast food jobs, but on that level, right? She goes, sure, but she didn't know what she was getting into. Oh my God. She, I said, yeah, it's going to be a thousand dollars, but I have to tell you, probably by day three, um, I'm going to be leaving the house <laughs> at like uh, four o'clock in the morning. And, uh, and you're just going to have to jump. And we will have like actually gotten back to the house to like, you know, 10 and you're just going to have to jump up and jump in the car. And, and I remember going into her room and, and I swear she sits up in bed and she goes, she just like literally rocking back and forth. And she goes, a thousand dollars, a thousand dollars. That's all she would say. You said, you said that you said the magic words. Yeah. That, that's that's what, you said the thing that seduced her into you know in, in, yeah. in, in, into doing this because you and we know that it's like there is something about the ability to just jump out of the chopper and start shooting. Yeah, that yeah. Oh. you cannot explain to a citizen who thinks the movie biz is what he sees on TV. 
Oh my God. And it is such, it is so the opposite. And, and, and I have to say, and I don't want to be like an old guy about this because I've, I've heard it and, and I've seen it that it actually was an awful lot harder back in the day because before pre-digital for one thing, everything weighed a lot more. (laughs) I'm watching movies now. I'm just fascinated by the fact that uh, in the pre green screen age, back when movies were still cinema uh, before the turn of the last century, the last, movie that I can think of that was actually genuinely cinematic was fight club. And it was right on 1999. It was right on the cusp. Right, right, right there. And then after that, it's like, it just cinema became something else. Cinema became branded tentpole entertainment events. And yeah. yeah. uh, Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, I, I I say this, I say uh, it's, we go to the Marvels. We don't necessarily yeah. go see the movies anymore. We see the Marvels. Uh, which and, Marvel? And I can't, it's just it's just my wiring just can't abide watching this plastic CGI cartoon where it's like, oh, the Crimson Mop is in jeopardy. The Moisture Master must save him and get the glowy <laughs> thing that will save the entire universe. And I, uh, you know, just, hey, I got a question. Where did you guys meet? Where did we meet? Oh man! Thank you for it, dragging us back onto the. Yeah, topic. there you go. Thank you, because uh, you know you, you, you see what we're like. You know, we'll just we'll go berserk. <laughs> you know, what? I, I would have to say it was at the offices of New Line Cinema, um, somewhere in the long gestation period of uh, uh, Texas Chainsaw. Uh, yeah, because uh, uh, part of the backstory is that. Uh, uh, Mike DeLuca, who was working at New Line, right, uh, was a, f- a, a, a people say, "Well, how can I begin a career?" As you know, it's like, and and my answer is really good because it's 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 circumstances you couldn't possibly duplicate. Um, so I, you know, I don't feel bad about giving anti advice to people, but against all probability, Mike DeLuca was a fan <laughs> of my short fiction writing. Oh now, my God! Writing requires this thing that you don't find in Hollywood very much anymore, which is an ability to read. And <laughs> Mike was a big fan. He called me up on the phone. And he says, "Hey, we'd like to talk to you about doing a movie for us." You know, because so I went in, and at the time, the uh, the movie at issue was Nightmare on Elm Street Part Five, and uh, I wrote a treatment for him, having no idea how to do any of this stuff. I, I wrote a treatment for him called Freddy rules. And, uh, he said, yeah, we want to hire you to write this movie, go across the hall, give them your social security number. Oh, and one more thing, one more thing. We need to see a script you've written. And I was the only schmuck in Hollywood without a script in his back pocket. (laughs) Wow. I did not get the job. Called himself a writer. Yeah. Did not get the job. Can can I, can I tell you really quick? Can I give you a, can I give you a Mike DeLuca story? Because so Mike DeLuca originally wrote started writing for Freddy's Nightmares. Right. I'm getting to that. You're jumping ahead on my narrative. Oh, oh, okay. Well, when we get to that, then I want you to turn to me and go, Mick, tell me that fucking story because that was pretty good. Because what happened when I didn't get Nightmare Five, uh Freddy's Nightmares was in gestation at that point. And and DeLuca said, we got to get you on Freddy's Nightmares. 
And I said, agreed, because then if they see a script, then maybe I can get a job writing. So we besieged. Now, Freddy's Nightmares was shot at this grotesque little studio on Webb Street in Sun Valley. Right between, a bar, to, right, between a right, bar and a strip club. Right next to a bar called The Web, <laughs> the web. Where, uh, where DeLuca and I shot a lot of pool while we were waiting for Jeff Freilich to make a decision. Now, in a TV show, what happens is you go into the Jeff's office and you sit on the couch and you sit there and you make the same mistake that I made with Freddie Rules and Nightmare 5, which is, okay, we got to dope out this entire movie, this entire TV show. Here's what Freddie wants and here's what he does. And this is why this happens. And then, you know, you work up these, these elaborate, you know, five page things. And, you know, then Jeff looks at you across the desk and he goes, no, no, <laughs> we already got one like that. And what it boils down to is that after you've torn your brain out, trying to figure out what it is they want, it boils down to you giving a one liner on the couch. And in my case, it was going, what if there was a high school chick and Freddie was her dream date? And Jeff points at me and he goes, do it. You know, like that. <laughs> That's so it was the last, it was the last episode of the first season. It's not very good. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, directed by Jerry Olson, uh, incidentally. Um, oh, directed that's, by uh, that's Jim. the one that had the spinning wheel. Yes, yes, God. yes. <laughs> uh, that, that, it's like we had a we had a we had an actor uh, uh, tied to a spinning wheel. We spun him really fast, like a wheel of fortune. Then Freddie rammed his claw in, and you see all these body parts fly past. Freddie, and needless to say, that was cut down to nothing on broadcast. But uh, having done that, okay, this dovetails in a couple of directions. Having done the the uh, script for that episode, which was called Safe Sex, um, right, right? Within this this was important because within 24 hours of New Line seeing the teleplay to Safe Sex, uh, within 24 hours they hired me to write Leatherface, which was their next horror movie. In the queue, I remember Kevin Morton came to me in uh, the New Line office, and, and, and again, another one of those things where people walk up to you in that sideways, and he goes, "So, what would you do with uh, Leatherface?" <laughs> I said, "Let me think about it for five minutes, and I'll come back to you." And it's like, "Okay, yeah, go." So, uh, a Friday's Nightmares was like a, a a stepping stone at that point, and the first episodes, as Mick has said. Uh, the first episodes were written by DeLuca himself. This is one of the things I liked about Mike was that he was a movie producer who actually wrote movie scripts. He wrote Freddy's Dead. He wrote uh, Mouth of Madness. Okay, my turn. Your so, cue. There's this punk kid that shows up on the sets, on and and he keeps walking around and and trying to figure out what's going on, right? And Beans is I'm generally kind of a nice guy. He he keeps hanging out in my office, and I don't know if you remember, but my office was all the way in the back, and uh, all the way in the back because the web had the the set the setup there was at a set of offices in the front, and then it had like a row of offices all the way in back, and that was all the props and art department and special effects and stuff like that. I just remember that the sets, uh, the sets at the, my living room is larger than the set at the yes, It was absolutely, the th it was so tiny, and we had four of them that literally, they shot out two a day, 
and uh, and we replaced two at night, and that went on for 330 sets. It was the most brutal schedule ever. But I remember that's when I first got my conception of a of a of a mixed drawn <laughs> set because Mick had a very distinct and identifiable color palette for his new line sets. Yes, it did. Mm -hmm. Anyway, please pray continue. So Mike uh, is in, keeps walking around and he has this uh, black or, or like an off black suit that he wore. Right. And I, I kept, <laughs> I kept saying, so he'd hang back in the office and I go, dude, you know, you keep wearing this suit. He was complaining that nobody would talk to him. And I go, well, honestly, you're in a suit all the time. And it it, it isn't uh, conducive to uh, a film crew talking to you in general. Uh, they aren't used to that. You, you're going to have to loosen up a little bit. And, uh, and so then I think – over the period of a couple of weeks, he went from a suit to a sport coat and slacks. And then finally he was down to a t-shirt and jeans. And, and, and finally he goes, guy, you're so right. You know, it's like, it, it's like now I'm part of the club. <laughs> Cause I, so, cause I usually saw when I usually saw Mike, he's wearing a biker jacket. So, you know, right. It, it took him a long time to get into that, but to, to the biker jacket was uh, uh, took a while to get to. You had to well, get there's, there's there's a company way of doing things, and you have to develop a, a comfort zone of your own where you feel safe, and you also feel like you don't have to wear the uniform. Oh, because yeah, right. New Line was not about wearing a corporate uniform. Oof, not at all. It, it, it never was. No, it, no. New, it, Line, it, New Line was a studio with no studio. It, what really well, absolutely you know it, it was like it was it was it was one of it was one of the emerging new breed of these production companies that uh you know post uh uh, uh what did they uh post well, post the the holiday the the um hollywood system yeah it really was we were the we were the what eventually became the way but we were kind of basing ourselves on uh on cor on corman stuff you know as yeah far as and and it was oh, also we were going to do it better where if you if you got a foothold in the film industry through horror movies or genre films, uh, you were still looked down upon by mainstream <laughs> Hollywood. I mean, it was it was it was just, you know, you were you were it was so ghetto. What what what? Hey, TJ, what, are, what have I always said? You guys were looked at somewhere in between lawyers and porn stars. <laughs> <laughs> lawyers and lawyers and porn uh, yeah. Well, having a, hung out, having hung out with both lawyers and porn stars, you know, I can recommend each one for certain <laughs> values. But man, you're never going to really need a porn star the way you sometimes need a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on who you are. <laughs> yes. Now, if so, therefore, uh, an optimum solution would be to get a lawyer who is a porn who star. Who is a porn star, yeah. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> and it's like it's, it's like you've covered all the bases. I'm sure that there's a lot of those. <laughs> and what is pornography really? I mean You're, Oh no, God, no, stop, 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 yeah. stop, stop. Okay. So um We're not yeah, go by, by the way, uh, on the, the wheel, the uh, spinning oh, wheel. wheel it, well, he it, can't get that wheel out of his head. Well, no. I, uh, 
I was just recently commenting on, on, yes. on that on that wheel to somebody <laughs> and, and how the uh, the first time that we tested it, uh, the person immediately threw up <laughs> because because of the uh, cycle and and it, we got a great disbursement with it. Oh yeah. Well, not only that, but I mean, if you want to see the wheel in action, forget watching the show because, yeah, it, it was hard uh, to even in it. Yeah, it, we became. Um, see, I was in a, I was in a unique position. The first television script that I ever wrote was not only bought but produced. Uh, subsequently, the first feature script that I ever wrote, which was Leatherface, was not only bought but produced. This is not normal. Yeah, this is rare. <laughs> However. Leatherface became the most censored horror movie of 1989. Originally, we blew our, uh, uh, we shot our wad with the advertising. Uh, it was supposed to come out in November. It didn't come out until the following, like February, thanks to the MPAA. We were the most censored horror movie uh, for violence. And Safe Sex, our Freddy's episode, was the most censored episode for sex. They <laughs> cut eight minutes out of the show. Woo. For what was perceived as we were just we were just going too far, and one of those things was there was some nudity. Uh, there was the thing with the wheel, and if you want to see the wheel in action, watch a documentary called "Never Sleep Again." Yes, uh, right. which uh, for which I provided my videotape of the dailies of us <laughs> shooting the wheel. Oh and God! Also, Nick will remember this because I wrote a charming scene. I thought it was in completely good taste. It's Freddy we're dealing with. So I wrote a charming scene where Freddy's head comes out of a guy's chest, spits out the guy's heart, and laughs in his face, right? And we shot several takes of this scene. So we have a fake chest, Robert's underneath him, and he's completely covered in fucking glycerin. And, you know, <laughs> and so every time he comes up through the X cut in the face in the fake chest, every time he comes up, he's got more crap on him. Right. <laughs> take one, take two, take three. He's drowning, you know, at this point. <clears throat> and uh, um, he, he does the take. And then we look at the dailies. And unfortunately, there's a camera drop. You boom down right. during the take. The fake pectorals on the <laughs> chest made it look as though Freddie's head was coming out of someone's ass. <laughs> 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 Hence, they did not use the shot, which, of course, is on Never Sleep Again because I had that damn videotape. Right. So, uh, and we and we had to scramble because this is how you rescue a project when. Uh, the suits, the executives go. I remember I was at the screening of Leatherface at New Line where Sarah Risher turned around and said, we cannot put our company name on this movie. Oh, wow. Oh, OK, so so you liked it? You did. You didn't. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> I, and I completely understand where Sarah was coming from when she said that. It's not like, oh, she's an obnoxious executive because. They have no, to but, figure out they have to figure out how to sell this. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. It, everybody wants edgy until you give them edgy. Well, here's the story of my entire career, especially after the crow. They call you for a meeting. You go in for the meeting. Why are you talking to me? What do you what do you want me to come in for? Because after the crow, I got called in for meetings for every comic book movie conceivable. 
everything from Sandman to Judge Dredd to Ghost Rider. I had meetings on all of these things. You'll notice I didn't write any of them. Uh, but you go, why are you calling me? And he says, well, we really like your work. You do? What do you, what do you know of my Yo, work? Who do you know? Of- <laughs> they, go, they, go, they go, well, you're really dark. And we like dark. Dark is good. And you're like, really dark. I say, you want dark, dark, or dark? And they go, no, no, dark. Dark's really good. We want you to come back with some ideas that are dark. And it has to be really dark. And we have to say dark a few more times. And so <laughs> you come back and you present them with the ideas. And then they look at you and they go, not that dark. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. The, they're, so what they're, they want, lies the rub. What they want is dark. They want a diet version of dark, which is dark light. Dark light. Dark light. (laughs) I was just thinking that in my head. Half the calories of regular dark. Of regular dark, yes. And And, and less filling. Yes, and exactly. Because Hollywood is essentially all about sex and violence. That's what you present in media. Now, we know how to romanticize it, and we know how to disguise it. We call it romance and adventure, right? Right. So what they want to do, though, is akin to we want it, but we we're prohibited from having it. So we want to drive and keep our foot on the brake and slam the accelerator to the floor. And you know what happens? Your transmission winds up all over the street. <laughs> but we, Something's got to give. Yeah, but we, haven't, but, we have, give. but we haven't learned. And it's that push pull that defines all of what Hollywood puts out, unless it's the safest, blandest pabulum imaginable. So, uh, just out of curiosity, what did you think of the uh, of Leatherface? Of the uh, it's grown on me. Uh, uh, the shoot was so plagued with problems. It was I mean, brutal. Poor, poor Jeff, Burr, brutal. Was, Jeff Burr was getting fired every Friday and rehired every yeah, Monday. He really was. <laughs> We're shooting in Valencia uh, 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 between the set right. of on one side is Tour of Duty. Yeah, right. Beach. China Beach. China Beach. It was China Beach was right up the road, right? So there's Hueys going over like all the time. <laughs> Not the only there were there were Hueys, but uh but uh, at at night uh like the radios interfered with each other. Oh yeah, our, we, our we, lights we, interfered we, with we, each we, other. We pick up China Beach's air. Was <laughs> you know, it like, where? Bring guns? What do you I remember get? I remember that their uh, location manager uh, wanted me to uh, cover up the side of our built, uh, the side of the house that I built, right? Right. W- wanted to cover it up at, at certain Mick times. Built, Mick built. Uh, Mick built a house that had a completely practical interior. Right. Which is where we shot it. Right. And you could pull the walls off. And yeah. You could, yeah, it was really wild. It's, but, rare, it's rare. Usually, if you see the shell of a house, it's just the exterior. But he built the whole goddamn house because yeah, we went it, not inside of it. All for shooting. It was great. Yeah. But, uh, man, I, I remember that we were fighting with every other production that was in that area because uh, – b- because and, – and I also noticed that they were all war films. <laughs> yeah. On top of that, because we're shooting at night – Okay, and it's swampy, and Valencia, the 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 uh, uh, location that we were shooting on Valencia was full of rattlesnakes, Ooh, and really and yeah. uh, every night the crew uh, at at because uh, lunch is like two in the morning, and the crew would take their latest rattlesnake catch and nail it to the menu on the catering board. <laughs> 
you know, <laughs> today's special. And the and the horror the horrific thing was the snakes kept getting bigger as the production went along. I mean, these are four and five foot long rattlesnakes stuck on the menu at the at the at the catering truck. But I had a but I had a terrific time because it was like it's my I can't dislike it. It's my baby. It's my first produced movie. And a li- about two years ago, three years ago, uh, we did before Cine Family dissolved into its sex scandal. Uh, we uh, uh, did a midnight show of Leatherface at Cine Family at the Silent Movie Theater on Fairfax. Oh, and yeah. Billy Butler was there. Ken Foray was there, and and I was there. And it was a full house at midnight. Wow. For, Leatherface, for the edited version of Leatherface. <laughs> wow. Like the blandest version of Leatherface imaginable, which I had not sat and watched for years. And I'm now watching it, you know, two decades later, I'm watching it. And I'm going, you know, this isn't so bad. It's 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 actually a pretty good film. I I, I think that it fits in with uh with the first one much better than the second one, and obviously better than the fourth and on down the road it, well, it's it's the true it's the true it's the true look that's the what uh, that's what jeff intended when he was shooting it and that's why he was at odds with the screenplay because uh he wanted to capture the look of something that was at least related uh to the first movie and that's 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 very commendable now when you're the guy that writes the screenplay every time he goes off script you're going why are you doing that but Jeff would sit there because he was under such horrific pressure. Oh, God, from, he really was. He, he, production. he was getting. I mean, they, they were they were literally just hanging over him, waiting to chop his limbs off. So instead of sides, we weren't cool enough to have sides that were reduced. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, we didn't. Do- sides are that day's script pages that you work from, and conventionally uh, on sets, some AD will uh, photocopy them and make them a quarter of their original size. So you have a little pocket version of right. the script that you can refer to. We didn't have those. We just had the script pages. So Jeff would have that day's script pages and he would fret and he would walk around and he would fold them into a kind of Chinese fan <laughs> that would get the, the folds would get tighter and tighter as the day went on. And it was very clear. He was never referring to the pages. Oh yeah, then it was not like at all. It, That's- it was like a fetish that he could just manipulate. <laughs> and I'm going, what the hell is he doing? And then I saw one day at a dentist, um, uh, I was sitting in a dentist chair, and they handed me a Kleenex. And I'm going, what is that for? I don't need to blow my nose or anything. Because in the dentist chair, you would sit there and worry and twist and turn that thing in your hands while you're wor- while they're right? working on you. And it would really, and that's what Jeff was doing. With yes, yes. <laughs> well, I, I have to say that every time I did see you on the set, you did, you looked really happy. Oh, you, you just, you had this like, I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> they, they made Mick. They made me a three thousand dollar chainsaw. <laughs> that's yeah. No, I had it made for you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, not not the one that was. Let's see. There was one that was used in the in the uh, promo that was like two years before, right? No, I'm talking about I'm talking about the engraved one. The one that, yeah, the one that I had the prep guys do, right? Yeah. And, and there's been uh, there's been much fan speculation as to how many of those saws exist. Two of them, at least. Yeah. Uh, because I've got a picture of me in the prop truck, yeah, holding one of them, 
and the guts of the second one are right behind me. Right. And when right. we did the screening at Cinefamily, some uh, some uh, wily soul who bought them uh, brought them to the screening. Oh, and cool. uh, so we have the, the you know, the, the chain thing. The thing I don't remember and the thing I wish I could remember just to straighten the fans out was. I wish we could determine who played Leatherface in the trailer. It's it's hard to tell because you know the trailer was made a long time before we did the film. Well, also the film was delayed by the MPAA, so right. the trailer, you know, what the trailer didn't do us any I, good because who, who it was within spinning distance of the movie. Yeah, the, the question is is who made that chainsaw? Mm-hmm. You know, be, it, where did what happened to it? Because I, I mean, it was modified slightly. It, it was given like wild pipes and stuff like that, but we completely yeah. changed it all completely. It uh, was, it was, it was uh, the, the chainsaw in the trailer has exhaust pipes like a hot rod. Right, it does. The idea was, it, and it was an idea that didn't really work. I mean, it it looked no. it looked really kind of kind of weird and funky. And and I do remember specifically when I was talking to when uh, I had Paul and we were working through the props at the very beginning and how we were going to do this. And I said, well, the first thing is I don't want it to look like the train sign in the, yeah. the trailer because it looks weird. <laughs> I also, we had to have, we also had to have a chainsaw that would operate underwater um, in, in defiance of, you know, full logic and physics and everything else. But uh, we had one because there was a shot of the sock coming up out of the, out of the water still right. operating and, right but but i think it, the way that we built to spew water off the blade right i think yeah yeah it, it, i'll bet it was a just a freaking nightmare yeah but it's like that's going to be one of the great unsolved mysteries of leatherface was who played leatherface in the trailer which exists literally talk about um talk about something that springs off just a word you say in an office somewhere I said, this needs to be the Excalibur of Chainsaw. <laughs> and lo and behold, bam, there's the trailer. And you can't fault the trailer for being like. Yeah, because really- the trailer was totally the story of Excalibur. You go, oh, okay. Well, well I think tonally, tonally, if the trailer doesn't clue you in on in, in into what you're what you're in for, then you probably shouldn't be watching the movie in the first place. Absolutely. One. Absolutely. I agree. <laughs> But so, it's like, but it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, then, you know, years later, um, you know, we flash forward the better part of a decade or decade and a half. And, uh, uh, Mark Rodesky was another guy working at New Line. Did you know, you knew Mark, you know, Mark or know of Mark? I can't hear you. You're cutting out. I see. No audio, looking, man. There you go. Okay. There he is. Uh, and Mark went off to New Zealand to bring Lord of the Rings to the world. So that occupied him for about the next, uh, you know, eight or nine years. Mark comes back to New Line and he calls me up on the phone and he goes, okay, so where were we? <laughs> I can't hear Mick now. Yeah, Mick, we can't hear you. We're running, we're uh, almost at time's end anyway. Uh, yeah, Mick's not working there, but I'll pop back in. Uh, okay, here hi. We go. Hello. So anyway, yeah, just to cap off that thought, uh, Mark came back and he said, so where were we? And he, and I said, well, he says, come on in. We'll, we'll see what we can do. And he, I went into his office, and then this was uh, shortly before New Line collapsed completely into Warner Brothers. Right. And, uh, and he pulls a script off, 
And upside down on the spine of the script, I see written chainsaw. And I'm going, oh, not again. Oh, God. (laughs) And and that leads to the story of how I had to sell Michael Bay a chainsaw movie in 15 minutes. There there you go. Hey. (laughs) Which we may not have time for. We don't. We're out. Hey, listen, Dave. God, you've been... You've been great, and you know what? Uh, I hate you to say the this, once. There, there's a there's a chance this could happen again. You don't know. Part two. We well, do part, part two. two. We're not doing not 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 doing a nightmare two, right? Yeah, yeah, well, that's what we, right. yeah be, we don't. Yeah, we could be but, we could be the lost episode. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, hey, I'm, happy, I'm happy to talk to you guys about uh, whatever you know, anything else you have burning curiosity about. Let's. Uh, you know, I, I I swear to God, I'm going to have you come back. Sure. Okay, buddy. Hey, listen. My uh, background, my background will be cooler next time. Okay, that's a <laughs> deal. Okay, so yeah. uh, everybody, David Chow, give him a hand. Thank you so much, man. You you've really been great, and uh, and I knew you would be, and uh, and uh, I, you know, at some point, I think that uh, you and I need to do a con together. It's amazing that we haven't. Uh, it really is, considering considering you know Monster Palooza and and all of all of our little pre pandemic. Well, stuff, I, I, I'm I'm sure that when things fire back up, uh, uh, I it, it it will happen. We'll, we'll make you. it happen. Okay? I'll see you. I'll okay. see you. Hey, thank you, Jay. Thank you, Mick. Thank you. Thanks Thank for coming on, man. Thank I'll be looking so much. Well, guys, that was another episode of the Rabbit Hole Podcast, exclusively available on ProjectLouder.net. Facebook and Instagram. Find that at Project Louder. So, guys, until next week, this is your host with the most, TJ Bowser. See you later, guys. Bye.